time for my posh voice, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. <coughs> the, the final chapter it just takes this sort of longer form view and say you know over the next few years this is what happened to everybody Bobby became head of the university Clive became an Olympic standard weightlifter <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly the saxophones come out and it's all tying up loose ends Lady Catherine arrives. Her response to Lizzie is as if somebody has walked into the middle of Rosings and had a massive shit on the carpet. No one wants to see Big C brought low. What? Who? Do, do they? Yeah? Welcome, one and all, to the fourth and final podcast from Shark Liver Oil on Jane Austen's wonderful little novel Pride and Prejudice. Uh, well, <laughs> what to say now? <laughs> oh God, it's happened. Mark the day. We've run out of things to say. <laughs> I, I think I struggle with it um, when I'm trying to th- concentrate on doing a voice and think about what to say in that voice. Anyway, that's, I'm... that's why they didn't take you at RADA, isn't it, Matt? You can do the voices or the words, but not the two at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, starting as we mean to go on, I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And yes, this is it. This is the final Pride and Prejudice uh, coverage we're doing. Uh, We're reading from chapter 52 to the end of the book. And if you haven't listened to the first three yet, what are you doing? Go back, download the first three, and have a a rollicking good time listening to uh, the Pride and Prejudice coverage. And... We're also going to be doing a little bit, as we do each and every week, on Pride and Prejudice and Zombies as well, which is uh, the uh, recent retelling of Jane Austen's classic novel with added <laughs> scenes of bone-crunching zombie mayhem. You love that piece of advertising copy for that book, don't you? Just yeah, you sums up everything that's brilliant about it for you. Yeah, yeah. As we've discovered, it doesn't take very long to sum up everything that's brilliant about that book. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Ninjas. There you go. Yeah. Saved yeah. you a read. Yeah, there's more to cut. Co- there's actually a very sad twist in the tale as well on that one, which we'll uh, go into later. Oh, no. Do, do, they, but, um, do they split up to look for survivors before they get out of there? It's worse than that. It's oh, worse than that. How could it possibly uh, be a worse idea than that? Much worse than that. I, I right. read a, a couple of lines with a growing sense of horror and just utter, replaced afterwards with utter, utter sadness at the loss of my favourite character in the book. Does Big C buy day. it? <laughs> we'll wait and see. We'll find out. So, right. <laughs> so um, well, look, we're also doing today, uh, after we've done the, the read-through, as we always do, we've got feedback, and we've got some reviews that have been sent in, and uh, we've also, yeah, we've got the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, so plenty to get through, and uh, we may as well get straight into it then. So, chapter 52, Dave, there's a letter to Lizzie from uh, Mrs. Gardner, who up to now we haven't really heard much from, which she's just kind of been around, hasn't she? Mm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and it yeah. turns out As that, with many supporting players in this book, she turns up when it's important that she hear or say something and then disappears <laughs> quickly afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she says that um, it, it wasn't her husband, Mr. Gardner, who found Wickham. It was Darcy. Who sort of Gardner's been search. fronting. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, um, Mr. Darcy was the one who convinced 
<laughs> Mr. Wickham to to get married. It turns out that Wickham wasn't that up for that. Surprisingly, you amazed me. And can, now, now for all that Mr. Wickham is a nasty piece of work, would you want to spend the rest of your life with Lydia Bennett? Be truthful <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, he spent a few days with her, and he's realizing with dawning <laughs> horror what he's done. <laughs> buyer's buyer's remorse. Caveat emptor, Wickham, you silly bastard. You see, do the right thing out of the box and you don't have to worry. Never mind. You know what? There's a sermon in it, but I'm not going there because that would be too much like Big C. <laughs> he's done that. Um, if you watch Arrested Development, he's done the job. He made a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> how did I not get that? Oh, man. How did I not notice that the first time out? <laughs> So yeah, so he but but he's he's gonna have to marry that huge mistake. <laughs> All I can see now is him looking off into the distance. In fact, <laughs> fuck, now it's impossible not to cast um Will Arner <laughs> as Mr. Wickham in this. If it's ever made again, you've gotta cast Will Arner. I made a huge mistake. <laughs> Darcy <laughs> <laughs> My own selfish cousin. Darcy <laughs> <laughs> and then when he's considering his career choice the pastor the militia <laughs> right let's be if you don't watch Arrested Development you're sitting there totally bemused by what we've right, got hang on. If, you, if you don't watch Arrested Development go and get it watched yeah, yeah listen to this good. first obviously we're better than Arrested Development well um, so, <laughs> big words <laughs> So, so also, yeah, so three, three things here. Darcy found Wickham. He convinced Wickham to marry. Um, yeah, to marry. And uh, he also uh, paid Wickham's debts. So Wickham's gambling debts, like, these are not small amounts of money. And that's actually quite remarkable. Like, it says, I think it says here it's like £1,500, which, you know, is... Well, he's still a lot to run up on a gambling debt in a couple of weeks in this day and age. But back then, that's like turning up in the casino and putting somebody else's house on, like, double zero. It's just... Yeah. It's absolutely insane. Like, he's just such a... He is not, in fairness, a three-dimensional character, Wickham, is he? His role is to lie and be a bad man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. And um, he actually tries to justify some of his actions to Elizabeth later in this chapter. They have this chat, and um, he's sort of—he's he, one of the things he's talking specifically about is this decision to give up the priesthood and take on, you know, and become a a lawyer. And then he obviously went on to other things. And as he's sort of giving this roundabout rambling excuse, Lizzie sort of just says, "Look, you know, the past, the past. Let's just move on now." Yeah. Yeah. And uh and he he seems pretty happy with that. So you know. Yeah. Onwards to more mistakes in the future. Cuz all he wants to know is that he's not about to get found out. Like he goes and has that conversation cuz he's kind of like, yeah. "Now you may have misunderstood my actions and assumed that I was a twat, but on the other yeah. hand, I'd like to tell you ways in which I'm just misunderstood." And it's very clear that Lizzie's just not about to go around unmasking people because that would be entirely too direct and straightforward. So Yeah. <laughs> so she's not yeah. going to bother. Uh, chapter 53, and the happy couple, Lydia and uh, and Wickham, leave. And uh, perfectly timed, just after they go, uh, Mr. Bingley returns uh, with Darcy in tow. They both come trotting 
down the uh, down the garden path because they're both on horseback. They're not just sort of just arm in arm trotting along, <laughs> like in um, like in Monty Python, just a pair of coconut shells. Come on, Bings, come on, clip 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 clip. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's quite a lot going on in this chapter as they all these these meetings occur and the Dar- Darcy and B- uh, Bingley are welcomed into the house because. Mrs. Uh, Bennett is very frosty towards Darcy because she still hates him for how he treated Lizzie when they were last at Netherfield. And uh, obviously there's various tensions going around the room. It's quite nicely um, put together, this, isn't it? Yeah, actually, this whole scene is really well pitched, I think. And it just kind of captures the whole... Uh, particularly because we're so invested in it, because the whole, you know, the, we're now 80 pages, or 80% into this book. Mm. And um, and so we're a bit like, are they going to get together? Because if they don't get together, this is going to be shit. Of course, we know they're going to get together. This is Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. But, but you know, we don't know if, if things are going to turn out to be okay in any sense. Yeah. And there's also the Jane tension as well. Why is Bingley here? Are they going to yeah. get together? Yeah. Is, so. is he just there going, look at what you could have won? Is it the, yeah. the, the bullseye thing again? Yeah. Yeah. Well, chapter 54... And we find out a bit more about that through... It, this is this is classic Pride and Prejudice because um, the big question through Chapter 54, which um, immense importance is attached to, is who's sitting where at the dinner table because this makes a massive difference basically to your life, um, especially in this situation because <laughs> we're trying to see who's going to marry who and sitting at the table is a, is a large part of that, it turns out. And um, Bingley sits next to Jane and uh, this is another sort of big step forward in uh, the prospects for these two Um, at the end of the chapter Jane is is almost resigned she doesn't want to get her hopes up and she's saying you know oh he's probably just being nice you know and don't read too much into it to Lizzie and Lizzie's going oh no come on (laughs) come on Lizzie oh no sorry come on Jane (laughs) yeah that's it isn't it yeah 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 uh, 50, chapter 55 and uh, Mr. Bennett visits again uh, Mr. Bingley visits again bit keen again, bit again, keen again. really he turns he turns up early and um, and the, the girls go in this frantic rush to get Jane ready and I love this at some point like Lizzie says to her mum oh it's like uh, Kitty's upstairs she's nearly ready and her mum basically goes, fuck Kitty, never mind her. <laughs> I loved that get, bit. Get, She's like, Kitty's no fucking use to me, is she? Jane, get your ass down, shake that money maker. She is absolutely the woman, the kind of mafia enforcer kind of madam behind the scenes in a girly show, isn't she, in the 1920s? God, get out there, shake that money maker. Like, absolutely disgraceful. Honestly, Mrs. Bennett. I love, I, love the, I love the idea of... Kitty's always on sort of DEFCON 1 as well and she was like she saw him way in the distance she starts getting ready thinking you know this could be it and everyone comes like, come on I love your enthusiasm but you've no chance at this stage so just leave it and let and let the person let the person who's actually got a genuine chance of a shot did you interpret it that way I totally didn't see that like is this Kitty going well I'll be honest he's clearly been mooning after my uh, after my older sister for a long time and I am after all 14 years old but a girl can dream. Uh, yeah, possibly. It's probably more along the fact she's sort of just um, 
you know, one, wandered into the way. At the, she's decided to get up early because she fancies a walk or something. Yeah. And suddenly she's in the middle of this turmoil. So, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I quite enjoy trying, trying to create little stories behind the story, though. So one of them might be true. Anyway. Absolutely. Um, so, But, yeah, this time Bennett uh, does the business. He makes a proposal by the fire. Bennett? And I, sorry, shit, yeah. Uh, finally, the thing is, the mistake I've made here for my notes, I've put Mr. B. Um, <laughs> well, that, was a, that was a foolish mistake, wasn't it? Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, so finally, Mr. Bingley does the business. Uh, he what, what, proposes. Can help. Well, the, he does the, he this does, is a different he, adaptation. No, no, he does the Jane Austen business, which is he proposes uh, by the fire. In a roundabout way. Yeah, and everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Finally, he's proposed, including the reader. Um, <laughs> yeah, have, have you felt like this storyline's been going on a bit? Like, the, I mean, I can't see how you could have made it any quicker, but it has basically been a will-they-won't-they they storyline since about page four. Yeah, well, it's kind of a will-they-won't-they they story with both of them wanting to be the will-they. So yeah. there's not a lot of sort of who's going to come round to who. It's just can they, um, and also, yeah. There's not a lot. <laughs> it's amazing that it's lasted so long. Insofar as both of them want to get married to each other, mm. um, there's nothing really preventing it happening because they're both kind of well matched. I mean, it's a bit of a step up for Jane, but not massively. Yeah, it's only the fact that um, a couple of richer people have got their eye on Bingley yeah. that um, that makes it particularly. I suppose, and the fact that the Bingleys want to marry into the Darcys as well. Yeah. Um, if if Miss Bingley's sort of uh, hopes are uh, realised. So there's that, I suppose. Yeah, but you're right. It has essentially been uh, a tensionless kind of relationship from mm. from the start because they're both, they're both like extremely amiable ciphers. So I was, at this point, I think you're right. Uh, I certainly was breathing a sigh of relief, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the reaction from the parents is interesting in that Mr. Bennett says, is, is happy because he says, you know, um, you, you, he says to Jane that, you know, you and Bingley are very alike and you'll have a happy marriage. And Mrs. B- Mrs. Uh, Bennett is just delighted because she says, oh, you're going to be really rich. Well done. <laughs> and <laughs> I just thought, I thought it was interesting that the those two people from the same marriage yeah. um, ha, have come to very different ideas of what a happy marriage means. So obviously, Miss, uh, it's obvious yeah. Mr. Bennett's very, very unsatisfied with his marriage because yeah. he's going on about how similar Jane and Bingley are and, by extension, how different Tim and yeah. his wife are. Yeah. Um, and Mrs. Miss, Mrs. Bennett is just doesn't really look beyond the... This business transaction idea of as long as you end up richer than you were before, then it's a good marriage. Do you think there's a th- there's something there? Obviously, this is entirely counterfactual, but is there a little something there about like, did Mrs. Bennett marry Mr. Bennett thinking that he was really rich and there was going to be a house in it for her and her, her and her offspring, and just like she's just driven by the bitterness of having had five daughters, who whilst delightful are not valued by society in the slightest. 
Yeah, I, I think Mrs. Bennett's a lot of things. I don't think she's really very bitter, and I think she's. I think she she did. She married for the house, and she got it. They've got a house, but the problem is, she expected she'd have a son, yeah. and um, the fact that she's not means they're going to lose all the stuff that she, all the gains she made by marrying Mr. Bennett. She sees disappearing for her next generation. Yeah, because. Yeah. She's not got a son, yeah. and uh, and I think that was why she was so furious when Lizzie turned down Mister Collins because that was going to fix all that problem. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I also I also think that she 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 genuinely quite um is is probably in love with Mister Bennett. Uh, I think it might be one way traffic. Insofar as oh, that's cold. She 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 never seems. Um, she, she, her reaction to him is when he does his sort of things that are different seems to be more oh that's just what he's like and carrying on rather than this ge- you get this feeling with Mr. Bennett this genuine deeper problem with his wife thinking I can't this woman. exactly yeah, yeah yeah you never get that sense from her to him like oh I, I'm, it's great that I'm rich but God if I, only I could have married someone who was a bit more interesting <laughs> yeah actually yeah okay I buy that yeah. Uh, okay, moving on. Chapter fifty-six. Uh, da, 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 da. Lady Catherine arrives, and this is exciting for one major reason: that Mister Collins might be with her. But no, he's not. He's Ugh, not coming out as well. Nah, you had my hopes up there. But in fairness, we get we get a very uh, creditable substitute because we don't get Mister Collins in the kind of carnival of vanity that comes out of his mouth whenever he opens it but it's we get basically a sort of early 18th early 19th century version of celebrity deathmatch don't we (laughs) (laughs) this is just yeah unbelievable anyway she 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 is horrible this time isn't she absolutely horrible she's she's out for blood unbelievable and not even slightly apologetic about it either you know this. Mm. She she's basically turned up to say to involve herself in the in the marital whatever of her her nephew, which is kind of like seeable, but a little bit stupid given how independently wealthy he is. Yeah, she's she, and she but she's just she's travelled across the country to come and tell this poor girl to fuck off, basically. Yeah. So so she she's heard a rumor that Lizzie and Darcy are about to get married, which is news to Lizzie, and she. <laughs> She basically says, yeah, look, you've got to make sure that doesn't happen because my sickly daughter, it's been arranged. It's basically a, a, this this period's version of an arranged marriage. When yeah, when her yeah. daughter and Darcy were, were babies, it was agreed that they'll probably grow up and marry each other. Yeah, yeah. And now Lady Catherine sees Lizzie stepping in and ruining all that. And... The, the the thing that's most striking about this isn't even the fact that she wants this arranged marriage to happen and she wants Lizzie to back off. It's the fact that she expects Lizzie to when she explains to her how low status Lizzie is and yeah. how it's better for everybody if she keeps to her station. <laughs> yeah, she kind of she's acting out of threat, like she's feeling threatened. But actually, her argument isn't just leave him alone, you know, you tramp. It's look. Fuck off! Seriously, what do you do? you know? It's like it's it's her her response to Lizzie is as if somebody has walked into the middle of Rosings and had a massive shit on the carpet. Just like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Well, you shouldn't be here doing that because yeah. I'm who I am and you're who you are. You know, 
And yeah. I've got to say, I was, you know how last week I was chucking books around a coffee shop in frustration with Lydia? <laughs> yeah. This, uh, made the same mistake, went to a coffee shop and read this. And um, I, I was very nearly on the table whooping and hollering. It was like, it, it brought <laughs> out the sort of, you know, Saturday nights, the night for fighting in me. I was just watching it going, yeah, go on, Lizzie, have it. Go on, take <laughs> her out. And she just brilliantly, absolutely perfect. Like the, um, the, the composure that she, that she showed when uh, last time, when Miss Bingley was trying to was trying to shit her up and yeah. kind of remind her of how she should be ashamed of her family, and she's just totally like just the, like blank faced the whole thing, just like yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that is a situation. Like just really coolly dealt with it. It's that, but on another level. And somebody's brought out the big guns, and she's like, "Oh well, I came here to drink milk and kick ass." And I've just finished my milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, it made me think of the, 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 the attitude of Lady Catherine. It's kind of like if if they were at a gym and Lizzie's sort of laying down on the bench to lift some weights and it just loaded on loads and loads and loads of weight. Yeah. And this muscly Lady Catherine comes over and goes, uh, no, 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 no. You can't lift all that. Take that off. Because she thinks she's doing her a favour by saying, look, yeah. you've made a mistake here. You've uh, set your yeah. size way too high. And I'm just explaining the truth now, so you know, back off and, and you know, leave the leave the really posh people to the to the professionals, to the really posh people. <laughs> and and Lizzie's like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you whether I, you know, any motivations are mine. Um, it's none of your business. Why don't you scuttle off back to your lair, you miserable old bitch? So. <laughs> She doesn't say that, but I she read should. that into well, it. Well, that's the <laughs> subtext, though, isn't it? By the way, I think that's a very, very good way of describing the way Lady Catherine approaches it, but that does mean that now I have an image somehow <laughs> in my brain of Judy Dench with massive weightlifters' <laughs> arms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's just enormously disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, get ready. Buckle up. Chapter God, 57. What, what's the next image you're going to employ to try and exegete the text? <laughs> Chapter 57. It's a letter from Big C. Yes! He's back. Yes! He's back. Um, and he's he's it's basically along the same lines as Lady Catherine. Because uh, the... Uh, basically, once this Lady Catherine and, and Lizzie chat happens, it happens in private out in the middle of, sort of the garden. And Lizzie keeps what happened to herself. So Mrs. Bennet, when she comes back in, Mrs. Bennet thinks that Lady Catherine's just come up to uh, give us all an update on how Mr. Collins is doing, and now she's wandered off. And then this letter comes from Mr. Collins to Mr. Bennet, and it's along the same lines as Lady Catherine. So it's saying, um, we've heard these rumours that Lizzie's going to marry Darcy. Uh, Don't forget that. She shouldn't because you want to stay in with Lady Catherine, basically. Yeah. And Mr. Bennett finds this hilarious because he <laughs> he thinks he, he thinks he thinks of all the people to have a rumor started about Lizzie marrying. Mr. Darcy's obviously the least likely, so yeah. he calls Lizzie in to say, "Look how ridiculous this is! Someone's spreading this rumor about you and Darcy. Isn't it hilarious? Because you hate him so much." And Lizzie's like, mm, "Yeah." <laughs> I I found this I found this scene uh, as well as being really funny like the kind of like oh he doesn't know and she knows lol um, actually I thought there was this really weird undercurrent here where I was thinking about the way I've seen this scene played in the past and it's kind of Mr. Bennett as sort of gregarious and oblivious you know the the, the father as idiot which is a very popular trope in, in culture you know like 
yeah. the, the patriarch of the family is Homer Simpson, basically every piece of thing that's made. And yeah. um, uh, but actually, I feel this is just in, like there's a couple of things he says which are just incredibly insensitive. Um, in, like in kind of dealing with this, like he almost I, I forget what it is the particular quote, but it's it's something like you know I told them that um, you know that would that that would never happen. It almost says something like you know you're not pretty enough or something. Do you know what I mean? Like he kind of. He doesn't just kind of go, oh, well, you don't like him. Isn't that hilarious? Um, but more like something like, you know, you're probably never going to get married or something like that. Oh, right. I thought I thought the you weren't pretty enough thing was just a, a reference to the fact that Darcy said it um, the first time. And he's sort oh. of, so, so, so almost doing it in quote marks. So obviously, you're not pretty enough, are you? Because yeah. you know, that's what he said before. But yeah, it's interesting because it um, the effect it has on Lizzie is that it, knocks her confidence doesn't it because she there's this famous quote she says you know maybe instead of seeing too little she might have fancied too much maybe she she's read more into what darcy makes of her than Mm. than um than maybe she she should have done and i suppose it's that combination of both lady catherine coming over saying what are you doing you're not suited and mr bennett saying you know laughing and saying obviously you're not suited and she thinks actually maybe we're not suited (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, chapter 58. And uh, here we go. This is it. Uh, there's this walk as a walk with uh, Lizzie and Darcy. And Lizzie thanks Mr. Darcy for uh, for his intervention in the whole, what will become known as the great Lydia and Wickham affair. And uh, <laughs> Great that- is stretching it a bit, isn't it? Yeah. Forehead smackingly frustrating Lydia and the Wicker Affair. Yeah. And uh hang on, let me just check here. Yeah. So Darcy confesses his feelings now. This is this is cards are on the table. Uh and he says, you know, I still feel like I did before, and if you still feel the same about me, as in bugger off and leave me alone forever, then um then tell me now. And she's like, ah, well, let's just say I've come round to the idea of marriage. <laughs> I, I quite like you, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's quite we find sweet, out, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. And uh, we find out why um, Darcy actually fell for her in the first place. It's the fact that she stood up to him. Um, and yeah. no, nobody, it's like we said before, no one ever... Uh, as told, as, as sort of called Darcy out on being rude and obnoxious <laughs> yeah, and yeah. disinterested in everything before, mm-hmm. and he quite liked that. Yeah, this whole this that whole element of this conversation I thought was really really good because you don't often have a character who's well, he's not a protagonist, but he's never an antagonist, right? You don't often yeah. have characters like that who you're supposed to feel positive about all the way through, who uh, who kind of like kind of have a, I suppose the word is repentance, like a change of mm. heart, who like critique their own characters and develop and change whilst mm. maintaining the same significance in the story. You know, if you ever have that, it's because the supervillain says he's sorry just before he dies or whatever. Yeah. You know? um, so I, I really liked this. I think there's, that's, an ex, that's a human experience, which often a lot of stories don't show because they need their characters to be archetypes. And yeah. Darcy's actually a well-sketched character instead. Yeah, so so there's so there's this sort of second proposal and acceptance, done rather subtly. It's not as obvious as the sort of Bingley by the fire one or, or the first proposal, yeah. um, 
it's not quite as formal, but it's there, obviously. And um, oh, there's also they, Darcy talks about how he's confessed all to Bingley about you know his intervention in the Bingley and Jane stuff. Yeah, and th- there was this small sort of fallout over the fact that Darcy kept Jane's presence in London from Bingley for ages, but um, th- it didn't last very long because basically partly because Bingley's just such an easygoing kind of character. And also, you get the feeling that they're very close friends, aren't they, these two? And not a, it's yeah. going to be quite hard. Even something like that doesn't really come between them for long. You think, you'd think you imagine if they if they were slightly different types of characters, that could have caused a, an end to the friendship and just a, a falling out forever. Well, yeah, and I think not without reason as well. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a fan mm. of, you know, kind of making mistakes and apologising and moving on and stuff. But it's fairly big, isn't it? Like, I reckon <laughs> we're going to get married to this chick. Ha! I say otherwise. Like like I said last time, it's the worst wingman behaviour in the history of the world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, go on, love. You don't want to be with him, do you? Nah. <laughs> nah. He's a twat, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, mate. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yes, yeah, so, but they, they made up and they both arrived together and everything's fine and dandy. Mm. Uh, chapter, chapter 59, the this... Darcy and Lizzie engagement remains a secret for the time being. Uh, they, they don't. They're sort of picking the moments. I suppose it's not been made official yet because they haven't spoken to the parents, things like that. Mm. And uh, so Darcy decides to says, you know, he'll speak to her dad. And Lizzie's got to break the news to her mum. And Lizzie's actually not sure for all Darcy's wealth if Mrs. Bennett's gonna gonna be happy gonna be keen. because yeah because. She hates him so much because she spent the last few chapters going on about how much she hates the guy. Yeah. Um, but you know, Lizzie's underestimated just how important Mrs. Bennett finds her no, uh, finds money in his I was going to say that. Like, if this is a moment where Lizzie just misunderstands her mother, and that's about Lizzie's character, then great. But if this was supposed to be yeah. a moment of tension in the plot, like where there was a possibility <laughs> that they weren't going to get together because perhaps Mrs. Bennett would turn down the prospect of having one of her daughters married to a phenomenally wealthy man because of her <laughs> feelings about it. No chance. Mrs. Yeah. Bennett, it's very clear, would sell you off to fucking <laughs> Kim Jong-un if he was willing to pay a big enough price. Yeah, yeah. M- yeah, Mrs. Bennett's uh, interest in having a daughter married is uh, directly proportionate to the richness of the husband. And we've seen how excited she got about poor, poor Wickham. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That's true, so obviously... Actually, Obviously, she, uh, I, she, basically, her head nearly expl- literally explodes with, uh, with that, this news. Is that foreshadowing for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies by any chance? <laughs> no, but they missed a trick there. She, her head should have exploded. Um, <laughs> and also, obviously, there's also the other element where Darcy's speaking to her father. And Mr. Bennett says that when sort of he breaks this news to Lizzie, he doesn't feel that like he can say no to Darcy, mm. but... He wants to just check that she is okay with this because he, as far as he knows at this stage, she hates this guy. Yeah. And uh, again, she has to reveal. It's basically the great character rebuilding of Mr. Darcy, you know, the great reputation rebuilding of Darcy, yeah, yeah. this chapter. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody finds out that he's not so bad a guy after all. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really nice chap, honest. Yeah, and we get again. We get this reminder of the difference between Mister and Missus Bennett's approaches to marriage. Missus Bennett's just delighted about the about the wealth, and mm. nothing else is even considered. Mm. Um, 
because you know it's the same for Miss, uh, for Mrs. Bennett here. As far as she knows, Lizzie hates this guy, hates yeah. his guts, because because she did it. She did until she found out she wanted to marry. He wanted to marry one of her daughters. Yeah. Um, but it's just utterly irrelevant to Mrs. Bennett. He's really rich, so I'm so happy for you. <laughs> what you think about him personally it's is totally by immaterial. By. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and the opposite is is Mr. Bennett's approach. Yeah. And yeah, again, it's the two different attitudes to marriage. Yeah. yeah. Chapter 60. Now, we sort of, this is, a, again, a, the last couple of chapters are pulling everything together, aren't they, really? Mm. Um, yeah, Mr. Bennett, uh, oh, sorry, that we hear a bit more about the, the how the relationship, it's almost a look back on how Lizzie and Darcy's relationship grew, um, <laughs> which is quite nice. I didn't think of it in those terms before, but you absolutely need to play like sort of, <laughs> especially for you or something over it. It's a really like 80s piece of cheesy crap. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Bennett writes a glorious letter to Big C, basically saying... Um, yeah, so uh, thanks for the advice about uh, telling my uh, my daughter not to get ideas above a station. Uh, it turns out that they're going to get married now, uh, so try and break it to Lady Catherine in as, in as sort of gentle a way as possible. But if, if it comes down to siding with someone, I'd, I'd side with uh, w- with Mister Darcy because you know he's uh, he's probably the better horse to back in this. So <laughs> thanks a lot, and uh, see you soon. <laughs> I love it, and you know what? He does it in even fewer words than that, doesn't he? He's, 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 he's <laughs> Even like kind of unfortunately, sir. Jog on, yeah. you know it's that, isn't it? It's just and I, you just delight in seeing it. Big C yeah. takes a tumble. Yeah, uh, which is it, it's great for Mister Bennett, but I also had a pang. No one wants to see Big C brought low. What Who, do they? D- yeah, <laughs> but it's <And> Big C. <laughs> I think you're being blindsided there by the fact that he's got a funny nickname. He's a cock. <laughs> oh, but it's Big C. He gets away with anything. Anyway, he's Big C. This is worrying. Man. I feel like you've got into a bit of a Stockholm syndrome thing with Mister C. <laughs> so that's Mister Collins's final real part in the matter. Uh, <clears throat> the two sisters' reaction. So Miss Bingley and uh, Miss Darcy's reactions are both to say how happy they are with the marriage. And one of them is genuine and one of them isn't. And I, I think you can probably work out for yourself which is which. One of them's absolutely spitting tax. Oh, man. There's great, great missed opportunities of this book include all of the conversations that Darcy will have had with the people who were trying to get him to marry other people during that time. Particularly, yeah. I would have loved to see the conversation that Darcy has with Lady Catherine. Yeah, because that, that, yeah. that's 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 an unst- an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, isn't it? That in terms yeah. of in terms of posh self confidence, that's just another planet. Yeah, I get the feeling that it'd just be Lady Catherine um, shouting and Darcy just sort of standing there waiting for it to be over, <laughs> just <laughs> leaving. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? Like she just brings out all of the arguments and all of the shame, and Darcy's just like at the end of it is like, mm-hmm. and then. <laughs> Puts his hat on, walks out, slams the door behind him. Yeah, is that is that believable? That there's often something levelled at this book is it's great, it's a wonderful romance, but um, it, in the in the times that it's set in, it's not really realistic. And I suppose whether or not it is hangs on what you believe about Darcy's character. 
and whether he's mm. he's his almost semi egalitarian side um and his love for his all encompassing love for Lizzie overcomes however many years of it being drummed into him that he's a certain standard and he has to only go for other people of a certain standard. Because mm. earlier in the book, he very much buys into that, doesn't he? Yeah, very much. But then, like I say, like in, in these last few chapters, he actually explicitly says, you know, from he says, from when I was eight to when I was 28, this is what I believed and I was wrong. And you'll yeah. always help me yeah. to see that. And... Um, and, you know, while obviously it has to happen for the function of a romance novel, and, um, and you know, I did a bit of reading into Jane Austen's life, and she was very kind of very seized of the necessity of marriage, and she was never actually married herself. So kind of, on the one hand, you can kind of see this as wish fulfillment. But I think, I think that argument is, is quite, it, it fundamentally mean spirited and shallow, because actually we have seen this character change. You know, we yeah. and I think, like I said, the really key moments for that are the moments where Lizzie turns out to have something about her, which is kind of, which is like strong and self-respecting. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's that 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 the wish fulfillment. I if if we're going to describe this as a novel of wish fulfillment, which is, it isn't necessarily, but if it is, then I think it's the wish fulfillment that a woman who is self-possessed and fantastic can um, can succeed in terms of a repressive culture around her and i think i think that's why it still has its resonance you know otherwise it would be like any one of a thousand now forgotten cheap romances from the age yeah i suppose it's i suppose it all hangs on whether how much you believe that you know whether people can change and yeah uh, yeah and like i say i think mm. i've seen that realistically sketched ish realistic for a romance right yeah. So the, the final chapter reads very much like an epilogue, really. Um, you, you just catch up with what happens next, and sort of it just takes this sort of longer form view and say, you know, over the next few years, this is what happened to everybody. So uh, Mrs. Bennett, it turns out, calmed down a fair bit once a few of her daughters were married, and the pressure was off. You saw a bit more of the real Mrs. Bennett. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. It's quite again. It's a it's a very optimistic view of that character, isn't it? It it, it um, is actually, and uh, but you know you're right to like, kind of identify this chapter as being the chapter which is like the freeze frame at the end of the 1970s TV movie. You know, mm. Bobby became head of the university. Clive became an Olympic standard weightlifter. <laughs> you yeah. know. Sarah turned out to exactly yeah the saxophones come out and it's all tying up loose ends yeah not necessarily a bad thing but yeah um but so uh Jane um and Bingley are obviously very happy and Jane moves to Derbyshire to be closer to Lizzie so they can still be keep in touch as well Mary and Kitty um their options and their Prospects improve dramatically because of how well their older sisters have married. Yep. Um, Lydia ends up sending these begging letters every oh few months. Oh, my word, please, Matt. Please, please send more money. <laughs> please send more money. And the one, I love that they actually give the text of the letter, that she writes out the text of the letter, because it's so yeah. boldly frustrating where she's like kind of, so we're thinking about moving on and uh, Wickham sure no it's not even that, it's not even, there's no introductory sentence, it's just kind of like Wickham I'm sure would really really love a living of such and such, up to a matter of such and such and like she starts a negotiation in a four line letter, you know 
yeah. <laughs> oh man! Oh, it's awful. What, what other things? Oh yeah, uh, La- Lady Catherine uh, is furious for a while, but in time, they she slowly makes up with with Darcy, and they sort of their relationship improves. Never sort of recovers, but improves. Yeah. Um, Miss uh, Miss Darcy and uh, Lizzie end up being very close, and because uh, obviously oh. the, you, you felt that they got on well. Yeah, uh, the gardeners are. Yeah, the, the gardeners are always invo- invited round because of how their part they played in getting the two together. Um, and obviously, there's always some gardening that needs doing. So, hey. always welcome round. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Miss Bingley uh, sort of tries to be as. Well, she she tries to make the best of it and say how happy she is, even though she's not. And she doesn't visit as often as maybe she would, um, for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bit uh, odd, wouldn't it? Like, everybody knows you've been after this guy to get married, and now he's got married to somebody else and you carry on turning up. Yeah. That's yeah. a bit odd. <clears throat> and, and and the maids and the butlers, I'm sure, are happy with how things turned out as well. It's <laughs> not explicitly mentioned. Because... <laughs> Because they have no hopes, desires, dreams, or characters beyond the, the well-being of the people who employ them. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they don't get a mention in the epilogue, but I thought I'd do it for them. Yeah, um, yeah it seems yeah. a shame. You know that one chapter we spent with them, where they arrived to impart information and then disappeared. <laughs> Sharp liver oil, okay. more egalitarian than nineteenth-century <laughs> novels since two thousand and thirteen. Bring it on. Yeah, and that's that. That's the book. There it is. That's, that's uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Hope you enjoyed reading it as much as we did, because uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, um, yeah, fantastic stuff. Got, I've got a few thoughts which were taken, it was basically taken from the, uh, a few ideas explode in, you know, popular things that people talk about in lit, in when this is done is sort of a, a piece of English literature for study. Mm. Um, firstly, that actually it's, it is kept, but most classics, the sort of the, the hard truth is, are only really kept popular because this st- people study them. Not many people read them for pleasure, but this is one of the exceptions. I think mm. is that a lot of people, it's still got a mass market appeal, Pride and Prejudice, mm. uh, just for what it is, mm. and know, it can uh, stand pe- up. It, there's not many books that are kind of strong enough to stand up under the pressure of being forced to study it. Um, yeah, not a lot of books that are quite good would really still be good after having had that happen to them. But this is is one of them, I think. Mm. Yeah, which is interesting. Mm. The, the the first line, this um, let's just read it once, one final time, um, in case you're wondering what it is, which you probably already know. But the, this line of it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of good fortune must be in want of a wife. Um, one of the one of the ideas around this book is that. The real theme of the book is is that inverted, and, it's, and it implies it, it implies sort of the other side. So, yeah, a man uh, in possession of good fortune must be in want of a wife, but mm. a woman at this time must be in want of a man with a good fortune. That's the whole sort of point of living. Yeah, yeah, which is true. Yeah, and it and that's why that that's why that opening line is so good, isn't it? It sets out the the whole plot of the book in a single sentence. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Although I, I think the, the the book critiques that line beautifully. Like, obviously it starts off and it sounds quite sarcastic to start with. Um, mm. But then, the, you know, a lot of 
a lot of the book afterwards is about kind of um I'm not tearing down I suppose but definitely looking askance uh, at that idea um and it's clear <laughs> that Mrs Bennett's role in the book is to kind of make us make us realize or represent the fact that most people genuinely thought and acted that way she's just being particularly kind of you know openly uh impolite about it but this is you know she's saying you know to her society i think this is how everybody thinks and that it is yeah. exactly as shameful as mrs bennett is well yeah i suppose it passes comment on whether it's great or right or wrong but also it doesn't it doesn't challenge the fact that it is as in it is correct for the time yeah in that you know you do if you were living at this time and and you you know you were born from a certain family you had to do that you, there's yeah. no, there's no, nothing in the book that says you know this is actually bollocks you can do what you want um, yeah every everybody moves within that structure and makes the best for themselves within that structure nobody breaks out of it mm. yeah that's very true maybe it's a bit much to say that it's supposed to be a critique of the culture and the rest of it i mean i think that's in there but i don't think that's all it is um, yeah uh, yeah, and broadly, you're right. You know, the happy ending is that, uh, you know, the man in possession of a good fortune ends up with the wife we're supposed to want him to have. Yeah, that's the yeah, happy exactly. ending. You know, it's, it's definitely not a revolutionary text. There's definitely <clears throat> the ending is. Uh, you're right. It's a happy end. It's a series of of, of happy endings with uh, <clears throat> Lizzie is happy. Obviously, Jane gets the right marriage as well, mm. and there's optimism for for loads of the other characters who who all. Who are all pretty pleased, but um, there is there is one uh, story which ends, you know, maybe pretty sadly. Or it's certainly a a more downbeat comment on on the system because I suppose it, it is a critiquing the system. But at the same time, you could say it's showing that the system works because um, both these marriages at the end, Jane and Lizzie, uh, seem to be genuinely happy marriages. In the in the constraints of the the society, that's very true. And you don't see the ones which are the well, the, yeah, the ones which are less happy. They quickly move away, you know. So mm. the ones where you can imagine, I mean, it's quite open about the fact that Charlotte marries Mister Collins because, you know, just because he has a good living and he's like he's got good prospects and that. And, yeah. Um, and then Lydia and Wickham, you don't really see the consequence of that. You know, Lydia carries on being as much of a dickhead as she ever was. And mm. so does Wickham. Um, and you don't really get the sense of that, of, you know, those relationships being critiqued, which is a shame. Crying out for a sequel is what we're saying. Well, the the Charlotte one, I suppose you get a critique from Liz, because Lizzie's reaction to it when she finds out that Charlotte's marrying um, Mr. Collins is sort of disappointment. And, if, you know, she's, she's given up her ha- happiness for a bit of security. And um, I think you can read a lot into that reaction. Yeah, because of um, like you said with with Jane Austen's own life. Apparently, that she she made that choice herself at the same when she was the same age as Charlotte is in the book, which is about twenty eight, I think twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah, and um, this bloke came on the scene uh, who had a decent sort of bit of income, and but he was boring and wasn't particularly attractive, and. Jane Austen took the opposite decision. So Charlotte marries this guy and Jane Austen didn't and she ended up being a you know a spinster. Oh, and, interesting. And it's just I suppose you can see through Lizzie's um reaction to Charlotte's decision, you know, the disappointment. 
yeah. that yeah. she she think <clears throat> she thinks it's the wrong decision to make. Yeah, but I think maybe there was always that question in at the back of Jane Austen's mind as well. Maybe she should have sort of cashed in, if you like, yeah. because yeah. you know you get to a certain point where you, I suppose, in this society where you, you've either got to do that or you know you you, you grow old alone with your principles. Ooh, that's bleak, but I think probably itself an accurate critique of that society, right? Yeah, and that's the sort of that's the hidden bleakness in the book, I suppose, isn't it? Beneath the the happiness and the happy endings of Jane and uh, and Lizzie, <laughs> we've managed to read one of the most famous <laughs> romance novels in the world and find the bleakness. Yeah, yeah, we have no. But in all seriousness, I think the fact that that bleakness is there is why Pride and Prejudice is such a good book. You know, yeah. again, it's not just dumbass wish fulfillment crap. Mm. You know, which is which I, for me is the reason why I find most romance romance fiction totally insufferable. I'm like, yeah, but this isn't about real people, is it? This is this is sock puppets. This is nonsense. Um, mm. Whereas Pride and Prejudice has realistic characters who really are in peril, um, and and you know the world is sketched and is not mm. resolved by the outcome, and I think that's that's very realistic yeah um the the comments the book makes on class which obviously i've been fairly critical of before um the the the, the sort yeah, of it might thing... as well be subtitled mightn't it how much it sucks to be middle middle class as opposed to upper middle class that's it <laughs> yeah it's very tight band of social status here that people are trading against as though it's solid gold yeah and the the sort of praise that it gets for comments on on class is is centered around the gardeners and as far as they as we said the gardeners are the only they're not actually gardeners though are they it's not like they're kind of manual laborers (laughs) no but they are actually they are the only family in the book which is actually working for a living rather than just getting an income (laughs) from other people and and this is seen as a very bad thing in the society and the fact that at the end, the final few lines are about the gardeners and how they almost have a, a pride of place at Pemberley now because of of how they helped get these two together shows that, you know, that, that kind of class transcension, uh, which, I don't know, it feels to me it's kind of reaching a bit because if, if that's... <laughs> no fucking kidding. <laughs> if, that's the, if, the, if that's what you see as the lower classes of the gardeners <laughs> yeah, in this book... Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, I think you're reaching so hard for something there that you're going to pull every muscle in your Guardian reading <laughs> Islington living body. Like, that's just, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I'm sorry. It's not. This yeah. is, you know, I, you know, I've said from the beginning, I don't think this is necessarily a problem that it's a comedy, about, a, a romance and a comedy and a drama about the kind of tension between, you know, various levels of privilege in England at the time. But... That's what it is, and it's about as yeah. realistic a sketch of, you know, uh, power dynamics between social socioeconomic classes in England at the time, as mm. it is a story about the dark side of the fucking moon. Like it's just that's not what it's supposed to be about. <laughs> um, the only other thing I want to say about it is that there's there's an idea, there's a theory, or there's a reading into this story in that is it aliens? A, is it lesbianism? No. <laughs> Is it no. I, alien I, lesbians? No. Alien lesbians? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's um it's reading a, a a religious element into this, in a, a specifically a, a Christian religious element, right. um, insofar as uh, 
at the end, the um, the level of access to Pemberley, which you could substitute for as sort of paradise or heaven, is um, is directly listen is <laughs> is directly dependent on how people have been towards uh, facilitating, you know, the, the the good ends of the story. So the nicer people it's have it. been to getting Lizzie and Darcy together, the more access they get to Pemberley. So, you know, Jane moves next door, but Miss Bingley doesn't doesn't hardly ever visits. Uh, Lady Catherine gets kind of cast out, even, even though she's got this great status. And uh, the gardeners, because they were really keen on helping, were given um, were given sort of pride of place. All right, Dave, give me the critique on that. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Right. First of all, Lady Catherine is not cast into the outer darkness where there is a wailing and gnashing of teeth, right? What it actually says is they slowly rebuild their functioning relationship, but it's never back to where it was. (laughs) Second of all, such a model of heaven where it's kind of a sliding scale, you don't really find very much of in Christian tradition. Third of all, and more important, most importantly of all, I would say, never mind what you find in Christian tradition, in Christian theology, you don't earn your way into heaven. So the the very idea of it, I don't know what that's pitching, but it's not, do you know what I mean? Like it's not a, it's not a meritocracy. So I just, I, I find that, I find that laughable on every conceivable level and whichever theology <laughs> student decided to try and crowbar it in there was... You know what that is? Actually, let me tell you what that is. That is a theology student that should be doing their fucking essay the night before it's being handed in and is reading Pride and Prejudice instead and trying to pretend that it's work. Put it down yeah. and go and do your work. <laughs> is is there any defence if you read it a more um, Catholic interpretation of heaven ah. as far as that there is an element of earning your way in, um, now, in a more traditional in fairness, Catholic sense? Absolutely, and you're right, and I apologise. Uh, that was uh, my, that was uh, that was me glossing traditional Protestantism across the whole of the Christian tradition, which is obviously bollocks. Um, uh, I, I suppose it, I suppose in that sense as well, you could dump um, Lady Catherine into purgatory. Hey, do you know? Well, all right, actually, hey, maybe it works. <laughs> maybe maybe it works if we take a more paleo-Catholic approach towards uh, virtue and and uh, and earning your way in. Which yeah. may, maybe does does that work more with the time it was written? I yeah, suppose well, I mean, actually, to, in that reading, it's a deeply subversive text, isn't it? Since Catholics weren't allowed to vote <laughs> at the time, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've uncovered. I think I think Charlotte Leverall may have stumbled upon something there. We've got into it there. The Pride and Prejudice Code, Matt. We found it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're into your yeah, if you're into your subversive religious texts, then Pride and Prejudice Pride is the one you should be reaching for. Well, no, I, I mean, I think the question this begs next is: is to what extent is the original and clearly very well established subversive politico-religious subtext of the original present in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Dave, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> Until three so, minutes ago, Matt, I wouldn't even known to ask the question. <laughs> So moving on to Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the retelling of uh, Jane Austen's classic. Um, I've <laughs> I've nothing to say on the matter of uh, what we just discussed, but <laughs> I've got a few differences to the book. Oh Maybe come we on, can back, read into them what we will. Revenants, early resurrection. Yeah. Surely there's something to be got out of that. Um, 
Okay, so in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, if you remember, Charlotte uh, turned into a zombie shortly after marrying Mr. Collins. Um, it turns out that Lady Catherine slowed the, the zombification down by uh, dropping some kind of antidote or some drug into Charlotte's tea. Not right. sure why that's relevant. So, so she's slowly it, becoming a zombie, and Lady Catherine de Bourgh is also now and somehow a, uh, like, a... a Oh, what the fuck? What do you call it? A um, epidemiologist or some Possibly. sort of magical scientist. I get the feeling that there's some elements of that there. The fact that she can brew her own anti-zombie cocktail. Um, there's when when Lady Catherine visits Lizzie and tells her to back off, Darcy. It's done to the ringing, clanging sounds of a sword fight. <laughs> a, <laughs> of course a, it is. <laughs> I thought she was going to set her ninjas on him again. Uh, no, the ninjas do turn up as well, actually. Yeah. Of, course but, they um, of course they do. The, the, there's, there's this fight to the to the death, but in the end, Lizzie has, a, has Lady Catherine backed up against a wall with a sword to her throat, but she lets her live. Oh, of course she does, because um, she's lovely. Yeah, Darcy's proposal... Um, ends with them walking through a field of zombies which are uh, eating cauliflower because they think it's brains. And... (laughs) (laughs) Which is quite good. That um, is fairly good, yeah. And they they think about just walking past and leaving the zombies to it, but then they realise that this is the first chance they've got to fight together, so they kill them all. Yeah. Um, And the other thing, the other sad twist in the tale, as I alluded to at the start of the podcast, Big C... Um, hangs himself. Oh, I can't laugh at that. Oh, I was all ready for it to be a really sort of pompous and self, self-interested, self you know, he turns back to get his fourth volume of self-penned sermons that he's never got to deliver and he gets eaten alive. But, yeah. oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, that's that's kind of like, you, you start, one of those ones where you start telling a joke and then it gets really serious. <laughs> like, yeah, and it, no kidding. <laughs> and it turns out his kids died. Oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, that's, ex- ter- that's terrible. Exactly. Yeah. The it's only response all, to that yeah. is oh. <laughs> fucking hell. Who, who wrote this? I've been, I've been, I've been along. I've been laughing along with it, which was clearly the intention because you called it Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah. Then you put that at the end. You can't now, right? tra- but, but I mean that's, that is a bit of a thing, isn't it, in zombie fiction, where it's kind of laughable and stupid and kind of goofy, and then it's just horrifying. Right, you know, right at the end, like Shaun of the Dead is a really good zombie comedy, and then the last third is this really intense kind of shootout in the pub. And fair enough, but I think you've probably undermined, fatally undermined your ability to really pull that off if you called it Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, for fuck's sake. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's all fun and games until somebody gets eaten, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or in this case, it's all fun and games while people are getting eaten, but then they have somebody hang themselves for uh, unclear reasons. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know what's funny about this is that... Um, oh, you found a joke. I, you know, at the end of Pride and Prejudice of Zombies, I was left with the distinct impression, oh, thank goodness that's over. <laughs> because I didn't enjoy reading it very much. And it's funny because going into this, I thought that would be the reaction I had with the original <laughs> and Pride and Prejudice, and Pride and Prejudice of Zombies would be like a, a humorous uh, way of just, you know antidote to it but it's the opposite way around Find the the original is actually a lot to love about it and the yeah. zombie version it's 
you know, it, it, it does what it says on the tin, I suppose. Yeah. So uh, you've got to give it that. Yeah, no, fair enough. I, you know, it, I don't think it had pretensions of being fantastic, and indeed it is not fantastic. Although, I, 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 like I say, I still think it's, it's absolutely unbelievable that it's going to be made into such a high-budget movie as it's being made into. Like, that's, yeah. that's insane. Um, yeah. But, it, in, in its defence as well, it probably not. The probably the worst way to read it is to read the original alongside and then, it, and, that, <laughs> and, that, and then just scan through the the zombie version, just looking for evidence of zombie action. So um, maybe I didn't give it a fair run either. Oh well, weird. probably. But I mean, but we've we've done our zombies for this year, haven't we? I mean, so are you saying that if we'd have read it alongside Zombie Apocalypse by Stephen Jones, that it would have ended up being a much better? Read like we would have been. Like, Interest. The characterization is surprisingly deep here. This is really, really good. <laughs> well, well, this is it. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not too keen to go back and perform the the blind taste test and find out. Like I'm, I'm all right not knowing. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay, should we go on to feedback? Let's. Okay. Uh, let's kick off with. Let's kick off with Max, a uh, uh, friend from across the pond. Uh, he says uh, one thing that stuck, stuck out to him was uh, the discussion about how accomplished various women were. Um, mm. It came. It comes up first. You know, they're talking about Darcy's sister, I think. Yeah. Um, but they judge. The, he says they judge the merits of all these women by how many and how well they learned literal parlor tricks. So quite, you know, quite literal parlor tricks. Yeah. So every time a woman came up and her accomplish and her accomplishments were mentioned. Uh, he chuckled. He also thought it was pretty hilarious to think about Lady Catherine being a woman of some accomplishments and wondered what her Miss America-style talent would have been. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's true. There's this thing where how accomplished you are specifically yeah. relates to what things you can do. In yeah, the, uh, it's party tricks, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. not, you know, she's a world-class lawyer or, you know, yeah. she's really, really good at uh, you know, whatever it is, you know. But it's it's she plays the piano really well, and is there a? Yeah. I mean, and I I don't know whether Pride and Prejudice kind of goes along with this mindset or kind of critiques it a little bit. But is it a little bit like that um, that crack? Was it Oscar Wilde or Noel Coward or somebody like which was kind of like you know, it's like a dog talking. It's not you don't really care what it's saying. It's just amazing that it's doing it at all. Yeah. Um, it, it, do you reckon that's the kind of accomplishment that the novel's really valuing? Yeah, maybe 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 there's maybe there's something in that. Um, what what would you put as um, as Lady Catherine's uh, reasons for being accomplished? What's her talent? What what's what's apart from sword fighting? You mean? Yeah. What what's Rosings got talent? What's she got? Rosings got talent. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mr. Collins can read sermons. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> talent Charlotte. is probably a bit of a strong word for that. <laughs> Charlotte, Charlotte does a great routine in uh, slowly turning into a zombie. <laughs> what, what, what's uh, what, what, what do you think Lady Catherine's would be? Meddling, absolute grade yeah. grade A self important meddling. Yeah, I'm gonna say. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Either that, or she'd be one of those insufferable women who bring bring the dog on stage and do some tricks oh, with them. I reckon she's yeah, got- but she'd do it with the entire village, wouldn't she? Come on, come on, come <laughs> on, come on. Yeah. Everybody beg. Hmm? Everybody jump. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wag your bottoms. And the thing is that in this particular era, she would have actually had them all out there doing that. And they would have been like, I suppose if my lady says so, waggle, waggle, waggle. <laughs> yeah, so she's a... 
she's a dog trainer, but um, instead of a dog, it's a collection of servants. So yeah, it's a village, do what she basically. Says. It's, it's, a, it's a feudally downtrodden village. Yeah. What's, uh, I can imagine uh, Mrs. Bennett is the like uh, classic pushy parent. And imagine she's oh, because because uh, <laughs> Mary's God. the most. Can you imagine? Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> she'd be one of those one of those mums on X Factor who she's she's pushed a kid for probably Mary who doesn't want any spotlight but happens to be able to sing a bit. Yeah, and um, actually, no, it'd be better if if she picks one of the one of the daughters who can't sing at all. Yeah. Probably Lydia. Put, put, puts Lydia forward. Lydia makes an absolute mess of I don't know. I will always love you or something like but that. Ends up running off with Simon Cowell anyway. <laughs> yeah, she gets trashed and then uh, in, in barges Mrs. Bennett to say how disgraceful the judging panel are. And they <laughs> put her back on. Uh, yeah. Put her back on. She's gonna be a star. <laughs> yeah, that one's yeah. That's that's Longbourn's got talent. Oh, right fucking hell. Oh dear. Oh, Longbourn's got okay. talent starring Mr. Bennett in the role of the guy who leaves the house for a nice long walk just before it comes on. <laughs> um, Kate has uh, pointed us towards uh, this thing on the internet called Austin Book, which is it, it, it's like Austin Facebook, Book. but Jane Austen. No. So it's a, lo- it's a lot All of right. statuses for, from the various characters. I'm looking that up. Uh, it's brilliant. I can read some of it out to you. So it starts with uh, Charles Bingley is renting a house in Hertfordshire, exclamation uh, mark. Mrs. Bennett became a fan of Charles Bingley. Kitty, <laughs> Kitty Bennett can't stop coughing, which is the most character development Kitty got in the entire book. That's true, actually. No, right at the end, it says, now that her evil sister Lydia had gone away, she turned out to not be such a bad type. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, Eleven of your friends are attending assembly at Meryton. Uh, Fitz, Fitzwilliam Darcy is dreading this evening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is cla- this is old school Facebook as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Fitzwilliam Fitzwilliam Darcy became a fan of Fine Eyes. Oh, did he? Did he? <laughs> Caroline Bingley is all astonishment. <laughs> Lydia Bennett became a fan of Officers. <laughs> Just all of so, them. So yeah. That's something to check out. If you like Facebook and Jane Austen, why not combine the two? Just search on Google for um, Austen book. We'll we'll tweet a link to it as well at Shark Liver Oil. But uh, cheer, cheers for that, Kate. It's very good. And uh, yeah, the, the Kitty Bennett can't stop coughing is a particular highlight for me. Oh, man, I've just, I've just seen there's one of them right at the end. Fitzwilliam Darcy rather enjoys being the object of open pleasantry <laughs> instead of open contempt. That's brilliant. <laughs> Um, okay, let's. Uh, there's a, there's one that I wanted to bring up as well, like a uh, a couple of things around Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yeah. one is if, did did you ever see? Apparently, there's a. It was on over, I think, over Christmas in England. There was a sort of a, a semi sequel to Pride and Prejudice filmed as a murder mystery. It was called Death Comes to Pemberley. Do you know what? I've read it, and in fact, I read it. This was how I got myself to read Pride and Prejudice the first time around. Was when um, P. D. James wrote. Death, death comes to Pemberley, and I read a review of that, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds like a bit of a giggle." Oh, I suppose I'd better read Pride and Prejudice in order to understand all the jokes. Um, yeah. And so, and so I did that. Was the I didn't see the adaptation though. Was it any good? Uh, I didn't see it. <laughs> excellent. It got excellent fucked. anecdote. Well done. Well done indeed. But it got four stars on IMDb, so it looks like oh, it was all there right. There you go. There you go. But no, it's just, it's just something I to mention. So if, yeah. 
Yeah, it's called Death Comes to Pemberley, and it and it was it was shown on the BBC in England, but I also think it was uh, it was shown in America as well. So you can maybe hunt that down if you want a bit more Pride and Prejudice. Um, something else to come across on the internet is the uh, if Pride and Prejudice characters had Tinder profiles. Oh my um, God! For, for for those of you who don't know what Tinder is, it's basically a I don't know, maybe one part dating, two part DTF Meat market website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you basically go on there if you want to uh, if you want to shag around. Um, Elizabeth twenty about Elizabeth. I'm good at overhearing things at parties. If you don't read, get to step in. <laughs> quite good. I quite like the the Lydia Tinder profile. I'll lead your family to destitution. <laughs> wink face. Military <laughs> to the front of the line. <laughs> George Wickham here for whatever I can get. <laughs> oh, and the, uh, do you know what? Actually, I think that's. I, I read through that and I thought it was a little bit obvious. But now you're reading it back to me, I'm like, actually, this is genius because this is that you know this critiques the whole kind of like like cheap ass way of the Tinder way of doing things, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like the, people never change. Even back then, you've got absolute hounds who are looking out for whatever they can get. <laughs> I quite like Mr. Bingley's uh, about me. Looking for someone amiable to spend the rest of my life with. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's Lovely. all the character development Bingley ever receives, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and ju- just finally, uh, my favourite Tinder profile from Pride and Prejudice has got to be Mary, 19, um, as part of her profile. <laughs> Fuck all you haters who laughed at my back recital. <laughs> <laughs> haters gonna hate. Hate is gonna hate. hate, is gonna hate. Uh, that song that was taken from BuzzFeed. Um, so if you if you if you have a look, we'll, again we'll stick the link out on on Twitter. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a BuzzFeed article and it's seventeen Jane Austen characters if they were on Tinder. Uh, quite a few of them are uh, uh, from Pride and Prejudice. Don't make the same mistake I did as reading all of them and trying to work out <laughs> which characters they all are in Pride and Prejudice because there are there are other novels represented there as well. So you'll spend a very uh, waste a very long 10 minutes trying to work out who on earth Eleanor is in Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> do you speak from bitter personal experience there, Matt, by any chance? Yes, yes I do. Uh, so that's that. <laughs> okay, it's it's time to get on some reviews. Uh, oh, I love I, this. I always, reviews. Yeah, I always love these, these, these uh, final podcasts for the series because we, we always get a bit more feedback and we always have the reviews to go in as well. So there's plenty to go on. Um, so Pride and Prejudice reviews. Um, this is a combination of stuff I've had in, stuff taken from Goodreads and, and stuff taken from other parts of the internet as well. Dave, you won't be surprised that quite a lot of people have given this five stars. Um, full disclosure, um, a large proportion of them are women, but not exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start off with a short one, five stars. Uh, Elvitha, uh, just, just a two-word review. Darcy Swoon. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. she's really, she was really captivated by the subtle social commentary <laughs> and the rest of it that was going on. <laughs> I've got to admit, quite a few of these reviews um, seem to be more about how many stars you give Mr. Darcy as a prospective husband That's rather it. than book. <laughs> Darcy's ass, five stars. <laughs> uh, Erica, uh, sticking to that point, how anyone could not like, no, love this book is beyond me. I was thinking, right, here we go. Good here reasons. comes the deep cr- cr- critique. I'm in love with Mr. Darcy. 
<laughs> Tall, dark and handsome. How could I not? He has faults, yes, but that just makes him that much more likeable and believable. Elizabeth, I love Elizabeth's witting character, and seeing her change from hating Darcy to loving him completely was great. Also, I wanted to hit Mr. Collins over the head. <laughs> well, all right, we're with you on that one. Um, yeah, Big C. Big, absolutely. Take take Big C out. But um, yeah. I, I, I'd like to sum up my response to these, you know, these particular reviews with 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 with, with the following. All right, you ready? You ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you hear that? No. Bollocks. It sounded like you're pulling out some kind of... It sounded like you pulled a lead out of your laptop. I actually hit myself over the forehead with my own hand. (laughs) (laughs) That's how frustrating it was. (laughs) Anyway, carry on. Okay, um, Oksana said, uh, If I had one wish, I'd wish that either A, I was Lizzie, or B, Jane Austen was alive. This is one of my favourite novels of all time, and I could spend the rest of my lifetime rereading this book. Bloody hell. That, that's, that's, that is true, though. People who like this book tend to absolutely love it, as in read it every year, don't they? It's yeah. kind of like, uh, I don't know, I think I've met people who, who feel like this about either Jane Austen or Lord of the Rings. <laughs> they just read it every year because they love it so much. Um, right. While I don't feel that way about... This particular thing. There are one or two. <laughs> there are one or two video games which I actually respond to the same way. So while I'd like to be unpleasant about it, actually, no, I, you know, I I do understand that. I I I have to say for myself though, I'd be more interested in Jane Austen still being alive, if only because that would mean that she was like two hundred and fifty. Um, yeah. Uh, then, I being Lizzie Bennet doesn't really appeal to me. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's quite a um, narrow. Margin of people who maybe want to be Lizzie Bennet, or at least I, I, half the I, people in the world. I don't know, Matt. I... <laughs> no, I, but yeah, again, it, it's. It, I thought that review is quite a nice summary of just why people love it so much. Is they place themselves in the in the in the story, don't they? They almost absolutely. live the story. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, which is interesting. Now, now we've we've had the positive stuff, Matt. Oh, you, you, you want me to bring the noise with some negative reviews? Well, I just, I really want to hear what people hated on this book for. Um, but I don't let me, don't let me pull ahead of you. Like, have we got some more good stuff? No, no, no. Your wish is my command. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that. So there are um, quite a few people, it turns out, on the internet who uh, took a less than favourable view of of Jane Austen's classic Pride and Prejudice. Right. Uh, let's do a two star one first let's ease ourselves into it Um, Charlotte said um, I celebrated finishing this I wasn't a fan of it at all in my opinion nothing actually happened and I personally believe that I could have written the whole book in a sentence she set herself a challenge there and she goes on to she goes on to try and do it so she says this is is a really long sentence she's just taken out all the full stops this is Pride and Prejudice in one sentence One day, Elizabeth Bennet met Mr. Darcy. They hated each other for a while, but eventually fell in love with one another and got married. Job done. (laughs) (laughs) She actually puts that. It's the second sentence. I applaud you. I absolutely (laughs) applaud you for the use of the phrase job done there. (laughs) Bosh. (laughs) That's it. That's the Shark Live Royal bosh that you get for that. Job done. Okay. Uh, we've got some one-star reviews as well. Um, let's see. So, with Ashley, Ashley said, 
I couldn't even finish the book. It was that bad. Three things I really disliked were the language was really hard to understand, I still don't understand what the plot was, and the author jumped around a lot. Sure. I, I think what? the author jumped I don't think I was literally. I think it, <laughs> as, in, as in she, she sort the, of... The plot. You don't get... I think I think it's like the, the the technique of the book. You don't have one, um, you don't see it through one person's eyes. You don't have one lead character and you stick with them. Yeah. So yeah, you're you have right. Like you're right Darcy there, mate. thought, yeah, <laughs> Darcy Darcy thought this. Mister Bennett thought that. And you think, whoa, who, whose head am I in? But uh, you know that happens a lot in novels. It's not. It does. It's, too it's called to narrative complexity or having more than one <laughs> character that you're supposed to give a shit about. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't couldn't fi- I couldn't follow the language. Fair enough. Like I mean, it's written. I've said this a couple of times. Sometimes the sentence structure is ridiculous. It's like she's put yeah. the sentence in a moulinex and just kind of let it happen. But that's because that's how you, <laughs> that's how you wrote back then. So you know, so fair enough, I guess. But the plot's quite straightforward. I mean, we've just seen you can sum it up in a single sentence. How can you possibly miss the plot of Pride and Prejudice? I know. Yeah, it, it, I, I did. Think, I did wonder that. How can you not know what's going on? <laughs> it's really simple. It's not like, you know, it's not. It's not like a, the kind of Russian novel which I've never read, where you, you know, I never completed and always tried. Where there's like ninety-five different brothers talking to each other about people with very similar names, who all have, you know, outcomes that come out of a very complicated cultural mindset that you really need to be Russian in order to understand. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, marriage. It's get get married or die trying. End yeah. of, you know. I I wonder with the with the jumps around a lot thing. Maybe there is a part because. You could yeah. you could tell that story through one person through Lizzie's eyes effectively just through her eyes if you wanted to, yeah. and may, maybe well, I don't know how much you'd lose because well no you know, but the, it the, does the, the, the mean, most <clears throat> sorry I was gonna say that the, the most popular book of the last ten years is Harry Potter and that yeah. is told just through Harry Harry's eyes you never you never move into somebody else's head. Oh, you've, well, you very rarely... There's the odd sort of epilogue or prologue where you do, mm. but it's almost entirely told through his perspective. And people care deeply about a lot of different characters in the book. So it can be done, uh, but it's a different technique, I suppose. Well, I'm not I'm not the best person to make a Harry Potter comparison to because so now I need to make a confession the same as your Star Wars confession last week, which is that I don't think the Harry Potter books are very interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> At all, um, <laughs> I look forward to just doing I, them then. <laughs> I know, right? I, well, yeah, because we 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 are gonna, aren't we? At some point, but I just I always got frustrated. I I was reading for the big plot, and I didn't give a shit about the rest of the teenage nonsense, and and you know <laughs> most of the book was taken up with who fancies who. Anyway, I watched the films, very happy with them. But all of that to say that I I acknowledge that that can work. That like having it through one character's eyes can work. But actually, you sort of do in this book that there's not many scenes where Lizzie's not the person receiving the information. You know, to the point where mm. there are some quite open plot contrivances to get her to move around the country and meet the different people involved, you know. And, yeah, you know, yeah. how she ends up in Derbyshire is a plot contrivance of the most ridiculous kind. <laughs> We're going to go north from Hertfordshire to the Lake District, which back then was like going from the Earth to the Moon for a holiday. And, uh, and oh, no, I've got to go back for work, so we're just going to stop in Derbyshire. Where in Derbyshire? Oh, the very place that your love interest <laughs> happens to have his massive estate and his servants can say nice things about him. Like, fair play, it's a great novel, but that's, that's plot crowbarring of the most egregious and outrageous sort. I don't think you can... But, and, you know, and all of that is done so that, so that 
Lizzie can be the person witnessing stuff, you know. So Jane Austen hops about a bit, but it's mostly about Lizzie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Well, you are right. But um, the, I think some when that happens, the, the thing that is strange for me is when that happens, when you decide that it's all going through one person, yeah. then when you make those little jumps where every so often you, you the writer tells you what other characters are feeling, mm. it jars a bit because it feels like they're taking... Um, I don't know. It feels like they're cheating a little bit. If if you're just seeing it through, if if you if you're supposed to be experiencing it as Lizzie, how are you reading minds and finding out what other people are thinking? Oh, that's true. But it doesn't present itself as a first person narrative, does it? You know, it's 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 narrated by yeah. by somebody outside who's kind of hopping around a little bit. But but yeah. it's, it's Lizzie's story, really, isn't it? Yeah. So you're with yeah. her most of the time. Um, okay. There, I've got a collection now of one-star reviews where people have people have set themselves. It seems the target of it's one star, one line, uh, basically. Is <laughs> <All right. laughs> people attempting to put it down and then drop the mic and walk away? <laughs> and that, and you know what? I've just realised that all three of these are blokes as well. <laughs> so, so I don't know what that should, says. We, should we call this out of out of a deep sense of prejudice? Um, the my girlfriend made me read this, and I nearly split up with her over it. <laughs> section, section. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, Nick said, uh, "The Twilight author of her age, pure garbage." <laughs> <laughs> now, never having read Twilight, I'm not in a position to pass comment on that, but I think that's quite harsh. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't uh, Twilight supposed to be supernatural? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if he accidentally read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, that's amazing. She's like, why is he falling in love with the zombies? I don't understand. Oh, this is shit. <laughs> Bob's think, quite funny. I think that's an Bob's objection a- to, to romance, isn't it? That's what that is. They fall in love. Fucking useless story. Uh, Bob's quite funny. Bob says, I was absolutely appalled by this book. I need no further explanation. What? I was absolutely. I think you do if it's a review, mate. To be honest with you, I beg to differ with your fundamental epistemology, there, son. He just decides. I don't need to give any more reasons. I, I, I was, was appalled. appalled. I was appalled. I'm Bob. That's enough. Absolutely, absolutely appalled. As absolutely well. appalled in every conceivable facet of his existence. I was appalled by this book, Bob, mate. Go out and have a walk around, son. It's all right. <laughs> and finally, Ben. Ben said, I would not recommend this book to anyone unless I was pulling a prank on them. Ah, zing! <laughs> and you hey, can... read this book. Only joking, it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I th- That's amazing. Or it even maybe it even means in the, in the sense of a practical joke, like you're kind of pulling a prank on them. So you just give them give them a hard copy hardback copy of it with like a spring-loaded cover with a custard pie <laughs> hey read Pride and Prejudice boing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's exactly it's Nelson Muntz isn't it that's what he's doing <laughs> okay um, look I think we're being a bit um, we're being a bit unfair because we both really like this book yes, and yes, um, yes. The, the vast majority of reviews online and the stuff that's come to us have been highly uh, in the high in the praise and the vast majority of five star reviews, so I thought we'd end with a five star review. Yeah, and it's from it's from Mark. It's from a dude. 
It's from a bro. Yeah. And, uh, hey, bro. <laughs> hey, bro, you hear that Pride and Prejudice, bro? It's great, man. It's great. Yeah, so, so Mark said, I always had this vague idea that Jane Austen books were girls' books, soppy, daft, dated romances akin to a Mills and Boone. The book... <clears throat> It is a good review. Don't think. Don't just wait for it. Yeah, I'm um, waiting. <laughs> it's not started well, but he, he goes on to say, the book is written with such wit and keen observation of human nature that the story grabs you and drags you running to reach the final pages. I assume in a good way. Um, <laughs> needless to say, it revised my opinion of Jane Austen novels forever. And there you go. There you go. And I think and that's, I, I, that that goes along go with my experience. Actually, I'd have to say. You know. Me like, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I very much thought going into this book that I wasn't going to like it, and I actually was surprised how much I liked it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's because it's well scripted and it's well, well, uh, well structured, and the characters are good and interesting, and it's got a few interesting things to say. And the very last thing it is, is a book that that is just here to give you the warm fuzzies about two people getting together. Um, you know, the world is full of shit literature like that, and this is actually this transcends that by actually being about properly well-rounded characters, and um, yeah, hmm, yeah. I mean, the, the only problem I again I, I had with it was that the sort of the complete completely ignoring other um, characters outside that narrow band of class, but yeah, you know, it, it does what it says in the tin, doesn't it? And yeah. it's. Uh, it's funny that it's still. I suppose it is funny that it still endures so well, mm. considering considering that sort of that fact. Well, maybe that's the final um, the final political statement of the book, isn't it? That like perhaps the role and expectations placed on women not a million miles away from what was back then as well. You know, slightly more free, but you know you've still got this massive pressure to marry and there's this idea that the, the value of a woman is only in the marriage that she makes which I think is bollocks but I think is still a very powerful idea in certainly in British culture today I don't know about anywhere else but yeah I'd be interested to know and this is opening a can of worms how popular this book is with feminists now there's an interesting question eh um yeah I wonder I mean I I, I would imagine <laughs> I that, there are, that there are many different feminist critiques one could make of the the, the mm. piece um, I don't know. We should. So none of you're saying none of the none of the online reviews really touched upon the um, the reflections that might be brought on it from a kind of Andrea Dworkin kind of perspective, or yeah. what Jermaine Green yeah. might have said about it. Nobody really touched on that. Yeah, I don't. I don't because really, I'd imagine Jane Austen herself, seeing as she um, was very different to the time, and obviously wasn't interested in finding a husband. In as far as the fact she she turned a few down and ended up without one would be quite a quite a popular figure because she isn't conf- you know she isn't allowing herself to be um i don't know pushed into the the the, the type of social structure that she didn't agree with but you know the the, the whole book it's, it's not as we as we said it's not a book about you know taking down this unfair social structure is it it's about you um, just working within it to find some happiness. Yeah, that's true, and it, yeah, it's definitely not revolutionary, is it? It's saying this mm. sucks, but it's possible to do well within it instead of this sucks. Let's change it. Mm. Yeah, well, and that that brings our our Pride and Prejudice discussion to a close. Uh, 
If you have any other thoughts on the book, uh, feel free to send them in to us at uh, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, next week, we're going to be going for a new book. We're going we're gonna to bring it more up to date, but we're going to keep it classic, as in doing a more modern classic. It's The Catcher in the Rye, Dave. Yeah. Why is it The Catcher in the Rye? Well, I think it's like the... We did The Old Man and the Sea a long while ago, and it's another book from the sort of middle of the 20th century, which I think was quite groundbreaking when it came out, um, but is... Um, unlike The Old Man and the Sea, I think it's it's a slightly more kind of um, contested thing, and it, it's supposed to have originated the idea of the teenager, you know? Um, mm. You know, the, the teen angst novel starts here. Um, and so I'm kind of... I'm, I'm a bit interested to sort of dig into it i must confess that i'm coming to this having done it at school and while everybody around me seemed to think that it was the best thing they'd ever read they'd ever read i was a little bit underwhelmed so but that was a long time ago so now i'm kind of quite interested to see what i make of it you know having having not come across it in a classroom and doing it for a podcast instead yeah i've got to admit i'm worried about how you're going to react to this book because (laughs) If, if if you didn't like it when you were a teenager, which is when you were pretty much the target audience for the book, I don't know how you're going to get on with it now. Well, either either I will discover that J.D. Salinger is a much better writer than I've been giving him credit for for the last 10 years, or uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun tearing it to shreds. So either way. All right, so if you want to read along with us uh, with reading The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger... We're going to read this week. Oh, God, this is going to be a nightmare because there aren't, there aren't chapters. Oh, yeah, there are, there are chapters. Let's go as far as chapter 12 for the first week. So uh, you'll be reading from, obviously, the start of the book to chapter 12, which begins, the cab I had was a real old one. If that doesn't get you excited, <laughs> I don't know what will. <laughs> Incendiary stuff, Matt. Incendiary. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you want to read along with us for the catcher in the rye, it is a um, a, a really interesting book, and it's uh, it's like like you say, it's the the original teen angst book. So uh, if you want to read, especially if uh, if you're one of our younger listeners and you may end up doing this for a level, uh, yeah. we'll give you all the ammunition you need to trash <laughs> it. It's with the it seems. Um, although I, I, I've read it one, I read it a couple of years ago for the first time, and I actually quite liked it. So we there may we have go. two different opinions. There you go, yeah. as, as always, and um, and yeah, uh, or as as always as well. Uh, if you get us into one of your A-level English lit papers, we won't <laughs> be able to verify that because they'll take the paper off you, but we'll be very proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, great. And obviously, uh, we're always open to suggestions for new books to cover as well. We always try and do ones that um, are fairly well known uh, just to give uh, everyone a chance of, you know, hopefully most people have already read them. But uh, yeah, any suggestions for, for new books to cover, do send, the, send them in to sharktheroyalpodcast.gmail.com. And, you know, we're quite open to anything. So we've done, on one end of the scale, obviously, Pride and Prejudice. We've also done things like uh, Watchmen, the uh, graphic novel. uh, And we did a large series in Game of Thrones and stuff like that. Okay, Dave, until next time. Until next time. 